Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Well, even with the worst pandemic in over a century, the NFL season will conclude precisely as scheduled with Super Bowl 55 in Tampa, Florida, tomorrow, Sunday, February 7th. And the football gods and storytellers couldn't ask for a better match of quarterbacks, arguably, as Tom Brady, the best quarterback in NFL history in terms of resume, takes on the man who many feel is best equipped to take that distinction away from him someday in Patrick Mahomes. And this happens as the league-wide quarterback carousel is spinning faster than ever before, and it's about to only get extra dizzy. And to my friend Matt Barr of the Pro Football Network, isn't it entirely fitting that on Super Bowl Sunday and in the weeks and months after, it will, as P. Diddy would say, be all about the quarterbacks, baby. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what the NFL wants, right? The NFL wants the quarterbacks to be front and center, and they got exactly what I think they were hoping for when when Tom Brady signed in Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, whatever you want to call it, getting the Bucks to the Super Bowl could not be sweeter for the NFL this year. I completely agree, and uh, let's talk about that quarterback carousel before we dive into uh, Super Bowl weekend and Super Bowl game festivities. And uh, the quarterback carousel, the first domino fell last Saturday night as the Detroit Lions traded Matthew Stafford to the Los Angeles Rams for Jared Goff, two future first-round picks, and a third-round pick in this year's draft. And are the Rams a legitimate Super Bowl contender with Matthew Stafford now quarterback? You absolutely have to believe they are. I mean, there, there's no question that they are. Because you look at what Sean McVay has done with Jared Goff. And Jared Goff is not a bad quarterback, but I would put him in the average to above average category. Those guys don't win Super Bowls anymore. You have to go back almost all the way to Joe Flacco before you get to someone that wasn't playing. I mean, he even he was playing at an elite level. Nick Foles was playing at an elite level. But you need one of those top-tier guys to win a Super Bowl anymore. And that's just the way it seems. And, and, and the Rams, McVay's going to have a field day with Stafford. You know, as a 49ers fan, we were we were getting all sorts of hyped up about Matthew Stafford coming to San Francisco and the 49ers uh, were were very much in the race to get him. I watched I was down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. I watched John Lynch talk to the Lions GM for like 2 hours. They were across the field. You could clear, you could see him clear as day talking. Adam Peters was there as well. So it's it's not difficult to figure out you know why Matthew Stafford was so coveted. He was lost on a on a Detroit Lions franchise that never really gave him anything. A lot of people want to point to, well, he never wins. But it's not his fault that he's never had higher than the 17th rushing average in, in a season his entire time in Detroit. It's not his fault that they've never patched that offensive line. It's not his fault they've never patched the defense. Uh, it's not his fault that Calvin Johnson decided to retire in the prime of his career. You know, really, Matthew Stafford has been a building block that they never built around. Now you're giving him to a Los Angeles Rams team that he's going to come in and he's going to have arguably the best wide receiver core he's ever had. He's going to have the he's easily going to have the best coach he's ever had. And even with the loss of Brandon Staley, like we talked about uh, two weeks ago to the Los Angeles Chargers, that defense is still pretty stacked for the Rams. They've made the playoffs three out of four years with McVay. And the one year they didn't, they finished nine and seven. This is a good football team. This is a good football team. They boat raced the Seattle Seahawks in Seattle in the first round of the playoffs this year, too. They have to be Super Bowl contenders. And in and, and an NFC that is aging out, you know, is, is Tom Brady going to come back to the Bucs? We don't know. Drew Brees is going to retire from the Saints. Aaron Rodgers is another year older than Green Bay. The NFC East is still a mess, no matter how you look at it. They have to be considered Super Bowl favorites coming out of the NFC right now. Oh, you do bring up an excellent point there, Matt, but I'm going to have to slightly disagree with you. Uh, 
Jared Goff's uh, dead cap hit and the reduction of the NFL salary cap is going to force the Rams to have to part ways with some key underrated contributors, and uh, they're going to have to really hit even harder than they have in the past in the mid-rounds uh, in the draft. So the middle of the roster, which is arguably the most important part of the NFL roster, doesn't go to stale. And uh, I have some concerns at that department. Uh, and that is uh, the thing that is making me slightly disagree with you on that at the moment. I completely understand. They aren't losing any big, big name, you know, free agents. When you look at the guys, the Leonard Floyd's a free agent. You got Malcolm Brown, but he's clearly going to be replaced by by Cam Akers. You know, Derek Rivers, Josh Johnson, Josh Reynolds, Sansom Ebicom. They have a lot, like you said, mid-tier guys that really build up a bulkier roster that they might have to move on from. But they can do they, – they, they've shown that they draft – relatively well in the mid to late rounds they can replace these guys but having a quarterback of the of the caliber that Matthew Stafford is can hide a lot of flaws and I think when you already have the core built around what the Rams have it built around I think they're I really think they're they're in contention in in a relatively weak NFC now obviously that could all change that could all drastically change as, as we get into we further get into this quarterback carousel but but really I I as someone who's watched the Rams very closely, I think this is a very, very good football team and are even better now with Matthew Stafford. And you brought up another interesting point. You said that the Rams have the best uh, uh, receiver core that Matthew Stafford has ever had. Uh, he had some very good ones in Detroit, including, don't forget, uh, the all-time great Calvin Johnson, who, um, it will, uh, who might go into the Hall of Fame as early as tonight. Um, and uh, Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones weren't uh, slouches either. So what do you think makes this Rams wide receiver core the best he's ever had? I absolutely love Robert Woods. He is one of my favorite wide receivers in the league, and I think Cooper Cup is just an incredible slot receiver. And I think I even like Van Johnson. I think he started to come on a little bit. Uh, Van Jefferson, yeah. Van Jefferson, excuse me, yes. Van Jefferson, excuse me, yes. Um, I just really like these guys, and I think the way McVay calls his offense gets them open. It's just it's a Shanahan scheme, right? The, the, the scheme is to get these guys wide open. And I think we've seen a lot of these guys not reach their full potential because Jared Goff couldn't push the ball outside the numbers. He couldn't, he didn't have a strong enough arm to get the ball all the way down the field when he needed to. He didn't make the right reads when he needed to. Matthew Stafford isn't overly mobile, but he is mobile enough to run that same sort of play-action rollout that McVay absolutely loves. And I think we're going to see Robert Woods and Cooper Cup take a giant leap forward this year playing with Stafford. Uh, what about the Rams' offensive line? That is a big concern, especially if Andrew Whitworth is about to retire. It is. It is. It is a big uh, concern. But I think this year's draft, particularly on the offensive line, you know, down in Mobile, we watched a lot of these guys at the Senior Bowl just absolutely bully the defensive line that was down there. The offensive line was clearly winning most of the reps. I think you're going to be able to find guys in the middle rounds. They're going to be starters from day one. And they're going to fall because they went to smaller schools. Uh, you know, David Moore out of Grambling State was one of the best guys on the field this week or last week, excuse me. And and <laughs> he's going to fall because he went to Grambling State because teams are it, it, for 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 lack of a better term. NFL front offices are still mostly made up of dinosaurs and these guys that think Ohio State quarterbacks can't do it. If they went to a small school, they can't do it. If they went here, they can't do it. If they went there. It, they just. They're, they're tunnel vision on a lot of things. And I think there's going to be a lot of gems, especially on the offensive line this year. If the Rams use their picks wisely and correctly, they can shore that up really quickly. Oh, you definitely bring up a good point. And the Rams uh, also uh, love a small school player. Is that Cooper Cup from Eastern Washington? Uh, Gerald Everett from uh, South Alabama uh, are just two examples of the small school players uh, they've taken in those uh, mid-rounds. So uh, 
uh, the Rams might have their eyes on a lot of those players at the Senior Bowl that you uh, just talked about. And uh, let's talk about Jared Goff. Uh, even with Jared Goff and the support from the Lions building, heck, uh, the trade, uh, the first connection to, to to the trade after I saw it was the fact that uh, new Lions GM Brad Holmes was previously the Rams uh, college scouting director, and he obviously uh, banged every table and window in sight uh, for the Rams to draft Jared Goff uh, in 2016. Uh, he definitely has a big fan of him at the building in the new GM, but... Even with Jared Goff's presence and the years remaining on his contract, should the Lions still highly consider trading up for a quarterback in the first round, given the ammo they now have from uh, that trade? And if, like, say, the Jets want to move on from, uh, don't want to move on from Sad Darnold, uh, they should be calling the J- Joe Douglas right away. Absolutely, absolutely, they should. I think I think we saw the peak of what we we're going to see out of Jared Goff when he went to the Super Bowl three years ago. The Rams did. I, I think that's the highest we're ever going to see Jared Goff perform at. Um, Sports psychology is such a huge, huge, huge thing for players, and I think it gets overlooked by a lot of folks that aren't, that aren't in the game and they don't really pay attention to that stuff. They think these guys, you know, whatever they're professional athletes, they'll get over it. But a lot of times, these guys take hits mentally, and they never really quite recover. Uh, Jared Goff is a nice stopgap for the Lions, and I think he can, especially with the Rams eating a bunch of that dead cap. You know, they can they can keep him, but they should absolutely try and go up and get a quarterback. Go get a Zach Wilson. Go get a Justin Fields. Go get whatever guy you believe in is number two after Trevor Lawrence, because Trevor Lawrence is going number one. I don't think there's any question about that at this point. He's going number one overall. So you got to go up there, and you got to make a move, and you got to stay aggressive. If the Lions want to get out of this purgatory they've been living in for the last, what, their entire existence, <laughs> they really have to start to make a move. And you got to get aggressive. And, and, and the Rams, I think, are the number one reason you can look at that. Every year, the Rams make a trade, it seems like. And people say, they're mortgaging their future. They're mortgaging their future. They're never going to succeed this way. They're never going to succeed this way. And then they just give the middle finger to everybody, and they make the playoffs, and they make a run, and they, they do really, really well. It's, it's just it's wild to see how, how highly teams value draft picks, not knowing that you're going to hit. You don't know what those draft picks are going to be. If you can go out and get a proven commodity, go get him. Go get someone that you know you can put on your team, plug and play day one, and succeed. But at the same time, you know you gotta you gotta be aggressive in the draft as well. You can sit there with your two first round picks or your your two your future first round picks, and you can just try and coast. But I think the Lions need to be absolutely aggressive right now, and really try and make a move to to improve their roster. Oh, especially if they love Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, they almost certainly have to uh, trade up. And uh, Zach putting either Zach Wilson or Justin Fields behind Jared Goff for a year or a year and a half uh, might not be the worst thing, would it? Absolutely not, especially if you think that especially if you think that Zach Wilson isn't quite ready for the big time because he played at BYU and he, he played some of the lesser competition. If you think he needs a year to sit before he can take over, Jared Goff is the perfect guy to have him sit behind. Because Jared Goff can go take those lumps, and, and this Lions team can go four and twelve or five and eleven, six and ten, whatever it is. You get another top ten pick next year. You go draft an offensive lineman to shore that up. You go draft a weapon he might need. You go figure out what the holes on the roster are, and you can fill it before you hand the keys over to Zach Wilson. Yeah, said the quarterback carousel's next domino might be a name that we weren't expecting a couple weeks ago, and that is Carson Wentz. As the Philadelphia Inquirer reported yesterday, the Eagles are getting close to trading Carson Wentz, but there is one uh, major hurdle uh, to overcome, and that hurdle is the fact that the Eagles are going to have to swallow an historic $33.8 million dead cap charge if they trade Wentz. Should the Eagles avoid trading Carson Wentz if the best offer they receive is less than a first-round pick? No, I think they should trade Carson Wentz. 
I think they should. Uh, Carson Wentz, I've never seen someone that needs a change of scenery more than Carson Wentz. He was on an MVP pace in 2017. MVP pace. He goes into, you know, he goes into LA. He tears his ACL. Nick Foles comes in. Nick Foles gets them to the Super Bowl and wins. It was a, it was a great run by Nick Foles. There's no question about it. Carson Wentz comes back the next season, and he's supposed to be day one starter. He is day one starter. And he has to walk past his statue of his backup and his head coach every day he goes into work. The Philadelphia Eagles built a statue to the backup quarterback while still wanting to pay and keep Carson Wentz. We talked about the mental stuff earlier. That had to be so mentally draining for Carson Wentz that he he couldn't get over it. I've never seen someone that needs to change the scenery more. Uh, I know the Chicago Bears have been linked to Carson Wentz, the Indianapolis Colts, the San Francisco 49ers. I think any three of those places would be infinitely better for him than Philly, just because I, I absolutely 110% believe he needs to get out of Philly and restart his career somewhere with a coach that is willing to work with him and build an offense around him because Philly's not going anywhere. Philly's not going anywhere. Their front office has to look at it like this. They, they, they are not set up to succeed right now. They are, they are a very aging team. You have a lot of guys that were on that Super Bowl roster that are still there that are now in their 30s and their mid-30s, the late 20s, whatever it is. You need to kind of start over. Even if you can't get a first-round pick for Carson Wentz, I think you got to eat that contract, get out from under it, and then just hit the reset button. You have a new coach. Just just, just hit the reset button and accept the fact that, hey, we're going to be in a rebuild for a couple of years. And I think that's really what they need to do. And I think they also need to find out, is Jalen Hurts a winner? Can he do it in this league? Because I think we saw him flash a little bit this past season but can he do it consistently i don't know philly needs to find that out but i think they should absolutely dump that contract eat the dead cap and just move on wash your hands and just rebuild yeah you bring up a very very good point and i would have to agree with a lot of what you said and i obviously i'm heard the reports that saw michael abari's tweets yesterday about the bears maybe being at the front of the line for carson wentz if not the only players in the market realistically uh, but I have a concern that the Bears might overpay for Carson Wentz, like give it the, 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 their first rounder this year for Carson Wentz. Uh, should, should the Bears uh, refuse to pay that price and uh, just give a second instead? I, I would refuse to pay, pay first for Carson Wentz. I would. Even even though the Bears are they're drafting, what, 19? Overall yeah. 20, something like that. Yeah, I, I would still refuse that price. Um, just because you can point to Carson Wentz's last two seasons and you can be like, look, this guy hasn't been great. We know he has the skills, but he hasn't shown it on the field. So I think there's enough, uh, you know, enough negotiating room where you can say, hey, look, I know you guys are going to eat that contract. I know you want to get rid of him. So here's what we're willing to pay, and that's it. Otherwise, you're stuck with that contract, and you're going to put Philly between a rock and a hard place. You're going to force them to make a decision that maybe they don't want to make, and they have to really look in the mirror and decide, all right, do we want to restart, or are we willing to keep Carson Wentz around? And it, I, I wouldn't pay a first-round pick for Carson Wentz just because I think he can be gotten cheaper. That's it. That's the only reason. Is he worth first-round pick? Maybe, but I think he could be. I think he could be gotten for cheaper. And if he can be gotten for cheaper, hold on to your picks. I would agree there. Uh, the Bears uh, should uh, avoid uh, trading a first for Carson Wentz at all costs if they want him. Uh, you could easily have him for a second. That is no problem whatsoever. But do not give up a first uh, for Carson Wentz. And. Uh, Another interesting development in this quarterback carousel is that the Minnesota Vikings might be willing to part ways with Kirk Cousins because uh, their uh, 
in a kind of a similar spot as the Eagles are, is that they have a, a roster with aging talent, with a lot of young talent. Don't get me wrong, a lot more young talent than the Eagles have at the moment, uh, but uh, a lot of aging talent as well, and they might want to hit the reset button and uh, and uh, build on the young core that they started with in last year's draft with Justin Jefferson. So uh, Kirk Cousins could find himself elsewhere next year, and the team that's mostly leaked to Kirk Cousins is obviously the 49ers, who wanted to uh, get Kirk Cousins uh until uh, they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo. If they had a trade for Garoppolo, they would have chased Kirk Cousins when he hit the market uh, in 2018. What do you think about the 49ers uh, eyeing Kirk Cousins again? Uh, do you think that um, is uh, do you think that's a good idea, or do you think they should put all their eggs in the Deshaun Watson basket? I personally, I want Deshaun Watson. For the 49ers, I think he would be immediate MVP contender. I think the 49ers would be immediate Super Bowl contenders. And when you look at the NFC West, that would probably be the collection of the four best quarterbacks in any single division in NFL history. Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, Deshaun Watson, and Kyler Murray. That would just be an absolutely banana land group of quarterbacks to have in one division. But when it comes to Kirk Cousins, I, I, I a lot of people hate on Kirk Cousins. And I get it. He wears socks with thong sandals, and he does goofy dances, and he does all this stuff, but he's not a bad quarterback. He's not the reason Minnesota failed last year. He is the reason that Justin Jefferson broke off his rookie year and blew past all the expectations. You know, he's a reason Adam Thielen was so good. He's a reason that that, that Stephon Diggs was so good for so long um, in, in Minnesota. Now we've seen Stephon Diggs is just clearly a different monster with the season he had in Buffalo with Josh Allen. But this, I, I don't know if there's anything to this Kirk Cousins talk. I think it's just talk at this point. Um, that's another contract that's hard to move off of for Minnesota. They're saying they want a first-round pick for him. If that's that's the rumor, I don't think San Francisco wants to pay a first-round pick for for Kirk Cousins. I, I think Shanahan Shanahan obviously loves him. Like you said, that was the plan from day one. The 49ers were going to come in and build in 2017, and then you were going to take off and you were going to get Kirk Cousins in the offseason. But they made a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo in week eight, you know, right before the deadline. It, would, it, would it work in San Francisco? Yeah, it would. But I, I just realistically don't see it happening right now. I, 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 have a, I have a very big feeling that the 49ers, despite what they're saying in the media, I think they want to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo very – they have a strong desire to move off of Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, they, you know, they can say in the media, this is he's our guy, he's our quarterback, we can win with him. Yeah, they can say whatever they want, but it's they're talking out of both sides of their mouth on this one. I, don't, I just don't see Kirk Cousins as being a realistic – option would i take him in san francisco absolutely i think he would crush with debo and brandon Ayuk and george kittle and the run game that shanahan schemes up he's already played in that offense before it wouldn't be much of a change for him i think he would immediately come in and find success but but i just again i just i don't see it happening i don't see it happening Oh, and in the case that you do not see a Kirk Cousins to the Niners happening, uh, I definitely agree they should go all in on Deshaun Watson. And speaking of Deshaun Watson, at least at the moment, the Texans are not showing any interest in trading him. And a team executive for an AFC club told a Josina Anderson that Deshaun Watson may have to sit out the entire 2021 season in order to force a trade. While I personally don't think it'll take that long for a trade to materialize, I could definitely see this lasting until late August before this season starts, before a deal comes to fruition. Uh, what do you think? Uh, the word I've gotten about Deshaun Watson is teams are calling the Texans and they are just straight up hanging up the phone. They aren't even listening to anybody right now, and I think that is absolutely the wrong move 
for that franchise to take. I think they've completely alienated Deshaun Watson. They haven't given him anything that he's wanted. They traded away his best weapon for a ham sandwich and a washed-up running back. I, I don't see how they can salvage this relationship with him at all. And I don't understand why they're not even listening to offers. If you're getting three first-round picks offered for Deshaun Watson, why are you not taking it? I understand how talented he is. I understand. You went, what, 4-12, and 5-11 within this past season because you had nobody around him. You don't take, you're going you're gonna to toil away this guy's career if you continue to do this. And, and uh, I, I don't. I don't understand why they're not why they're not listening to offers and why they're not taking this seriously. I, I think it's this big stalemate and it's it's a it's a big pissing contest between the Texans and Watson, and and Watson is being painted as the bad guy in a lot of this light, and I don't think that's fair at all. I don't think Deshaun Watson has done anything to deserve any any discredit or any hate that he is that he is collecting from folks that are just saying no, just shut up and play. It, we're not we, we've moved way beyond this shut up and play mentality. We've moved way beyond it. People want to villainize him for wanting a trade. Eli Manning, when he was drafted, straight up said, I will not play for the Chargers. People forget this has happened in the past. John Elway straight up said, I will not play for the Colts. This is not new. This is not new. Quarterbacks want to go where they think they can succeed, and I think Deshaun Watson knows he can't succeed in Houston. So just Houston not listening to offers is just, it's silly to me. It, it, it's a it's it's a bad franchise being run poorly, and that's what this, this is the peak of what we're seeing right now with this with this trade talk. Yes, and uh, we better hope that uh, this comes to conclusion sooner rather than later, because uh, the longer this goes on, uh, as Andrew Brand says, uh, the longer this goes on, there will be lawyers. Don't you think so? Absolutely. There's there's going to be a lot of things to get involved here, and. And Deshaun Watson has a lot of money on the line to sit out and all that stuff. But I think he's – I really think he's fed up to the point where he's like, I will take my lump one year because I know that if he sits out one year, that's one year less taking hits. That's one year less of getting banged up. And he's going to make his money back on the back end. So really the Houston Texans should strike right now while the iron is hot and while you saw what Stafford received in a trade offer. They should try and parlay that into getting even more for a 25-year-old Deshaun Watson. But they're – they're not. They're just. They're just hanging up the phone on everybody, and it's just. It's. It's. It's not smart. It's not smart in my eyes. Uh, I agree that that's not smart. But let me uh, make a counterpoint to something you just said about uh, about uh, sitting out. Sitting out doesn't necessarily diminish a player's value. It might only increase a player's value. And uh, that's exactly what uh, a former NFL defensive lineman, Sean Gilbert, did in the mid to late 90s when uh, he was franchised uh, by Washington and he decided not to play that year on the franchise tag. And then they tagged him again, but uh, they ended up trading him to the Carolina Panthers where he got a much better offer than he would have gotten in Washington uh, at the time. And Von Miller... um, was considering that similar option when he was engaged in the franchise tag dispute with the Broncos for sitting out the season if they didn't come to a long-term deal and using that as next le- as leverage, according to NFL, uh, the collective bargaining agreement, uh, to um, uh, leverage a potential trade because uh, the, pro- the, the, the well the price of the trade might have gone down, the contract value would, would have only gone up. So uh, I think there's an argument to be made that Deshaun Watson might have a lot more money to gain than lose by sitting out. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. He'll make it on the back end if he sits out. He understands that. He will get that money back. 
There's there's no question about it, especially if you take a year where you're not taking a beating and you're not taking hits behind a really, really bad Houston Texans offensive line. So I, I think Deshaun Watson's best option here is to sit out and force his way out of Houston because that's the only way he's going to get out. And uh, gun to your head, uh, do you agree with uh, my uh, intuition that the earliest a trade will occur is late August? That's the way it's looking. That's the way it's looking. And, and I think that we could see the whole landscape change after the draft and after free agency. Once we see what the Cowboys do with Dak Prescott, once we see where these quarterbacks go in the draft, once we see where some of these veterans land, I think then we're going to start to see the dominoes fall and teams will start to readjust in, in, in how they view the quarterback position and how they view their need for the quarterback position. But really, if the Houston Texans want to get good right now, they should be trading him so they can get a first-round pick this year in this year's draft where they, they've been scouting all these guys nonstop. And, and uh, I don't know. It's just a bad franchise. It's just oh, a bad oh, franchise. Arguably the worst run franchise in the NFL, if not in all sports right now. Thy name is the Houston Texans, and there is currently no match for how pathetic of a franchise the Houston Texans are at the moment. And uh, one of the perks of Super Bowl weekend is uh, the 2020 NFL awards get revealed. And uh, Matt and I, let's make our picks right now. Uh, for the uh, MVP, uh, I easily t- have to go with Aaron Rodgers. Yes, um, a lot can be said about uh, his bad decision on that third and goal late in the game in the uh, NFC Championship, but uh, that game was mostly bad coaching by Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur mostly let him down that game, and despite uh, Matt LaFleur's uh, incompetence in coaching a team-wide sport as opposed to orchestrate offensive scheme, Aaron Rodgers... Uh, after Jordan Love got drafted, he got bad as we all expected, and he played arguably the best season of his career, uh, maybe even better than 2011 for crying out loud, given the fact that uh, he's uh, not the same in certain ways, but he just showed us that he learned how to uh, evolve his game at his age, so got to go with Aaron Rodgers. Absolutely, and I think it's got to be almost unanimous at this point. You look at how good Josh Allen was in Buffalo. He's great. Uh, everybody wants to pound the drum for Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes had something like, 13 dropped interceptions this year is one of the highest rates in NFL history. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the, the Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round, and Aaron Rodgers said, bet, I got you. I'm going to prove to you why. Why I'm the reason that you are here. Why I'm the reason you're drafting in the late 20s. And he absolutely showed out. He put together his best season in a very, very long time. And, and the MVP award, for better or worse, is a regular season award. It is a regular season award. And he was the best quarterback consistently over the course of the entire season. Yes, and if Aaron Rodgers was the MVP, I think I have to give my Offensive Player of the Year award to Devontae Adams because uh, when you look at the Devontae Adams' career, remember in 2015, his second year of the league, he didn't know which route to run, and Aaron Rodgers was like angry at him. And now the, uh, Devontae Adams is arguably the best wide receiver Aaron Rodgers has ever had in his career. His footwork is second to none. He doesn't use his arms in a route. He just fools defenders with his feet only. It's just remarkable. And those 18 touchdowns speak a lot of volume. Just have to go with Devontae Adams for Offensive Player of the Year here, especially since a lot of the star running backs were hurt this year. I hear you, I hear you, but I am going to go with one of the star running backs that wasn't hurt this year, and I'm going to go with Derrick Henry, cracking that 2,000-yard oh, yeah. rushing I, mark. How could I forget you, King Henry? I'm so sorry, Your Majesty. King, <laughs> King Henry, King Henry, cracking 2,000 yards in a league now where guys are running running back by committee across the league. Absolutely have to give it to Derrick Henry here. Devontae Adams, I mean, it's neck and neck for me. Derrick Henry, Devontae Adams. You could, if either one wins, I'm not going to be mad. 
I'm not going to be upset by either one of those. But King Henry for me gets it. You crack 2,000 yards in 2020 in a pandemic year. You prove that you can stay healthy. You prove that you're still running over everybody. King Henry gets offensive player of the year for me. Defensive player of the year. Uh, I have to go with TJ Watt because when you look at that Steelers roster, uh, yeah, you can talk about how they started the year 11 and all and all that stuff, but I think one of the main reasons why they were able to win as much games as they said was more due to T.J. Watt and that defense than to the aging Ben Roethlisberger. T.J. Watt not only led the NFL in sacks, he led the NFL in tackles for loss and quarterback hits. He was a monster all season, and at the second most important position on the football field, uh, nobody was more dominant than T.J. Watt. I like it. I think you go T.J. Watt, you go Miles Garrett, you go Aaron Donald, you go any of those pass rushers, and and I don't think anyone would be mad at you. But I'm going secondary, and I'm going Xavier Howard, ten interceptions this year 10 1 2 3 all the way to 10 that's an incredible number of turnovers to create from a cornerback position uh he played out of his mind you want to talk about a reason why miami dolphins were winning football games it wasn't ryan fitzpatrick it wasn't Tua Tagovailoa. i can't ever say his name tungo viola tungo viola tungo viola there it is it wasn't Tua. it was that defense and that defense was anchored by xavian howard 10 interceptions in one single season is absolutely incredible that's a huge number and to be able to give your team short fields over and over and over and over and over again is huge to get the miami dolphins to where they are now and you know i just got to watch brian flores coach down the senior bowl he is so intimidating because he's so quiet in practice i'm just that's just a little tidbit that's it that's that's all there is to it. he's super quiet in practice and he just walks around looking menacing and he's terrifying but xavier howard for me wins defensive player of the year that's what i got uh, who do you have for Offensive Rookie of the Year as we go into the rookies? Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson. Absolutely 100% believe it. Uh, I know this is generally which offensive quarterback was the best. <laughs> and that's, 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 that's usually how it goes for, for the rookies. Uh, but really, Justin Jefferson showed out. He was the sixth wide receiver drafted. Sixth, fifth, something like that. I don't know. He wasn't one of the top three guys. Was, you know, the consensus top three were, were Ruggs, Judy, and, and C.D. Lamb, and everybody else was just an afterthought. And, and Justin Jefferson showed up and had a better year than all of them, than all of them. And I think he absolutely deserves the rookie of the year title for breaking rookie records as a receiver. I love Justin Jefferson to death, but I'm going to have to go with the other Justin for offensive rookie of the year, Justin Herbert. Yes, it's all about the quarterback position. Quarterback is the most important position, not only in football, but in all sports. And Justin Herbert, kind of like Justin Jefferson, was an afterthought when he gave this quarterback class. It was like uh, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, and then a drop-off, according to many analysts. But Justin Herbert blew that out of the water. Justin Herbert broke Patrick Mahomes' uh, record for most touchdown passes by a uh, first-year starter, I believe, and uh, he's obviously set the rookie record for touchdown passes. This guy is now the face of that Chargers franchise, and he, against Patrick Mahomes, could be the best quarterback matchup in NFL history. It it seriously has that potential, and uh, just what he's brought to that organization and the amazing talents he has that he wasn't allowed to showcase in that Oregon system, the Dolphins are going to regret passing over Justin Herbert for 20 Plus years, if not longer. Got to go with Justin Herbert for my Offensive Rookie of the Year. For Defensive Rookie of the Year, I love Chase Young to death. But I'm going to have to go with the nephew of Hall of Famer Steve Atwater, Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin, like that game against the Vikings, just showed 
what a ridiculous playmaker he is. And uh, he uh, is like a multifaceted player. He can do it all. He can blitz. He can cover. He can stop the run, strip the ball, pick it off, you name it. He is the ultimate playmaker, ultimate defensive chess piece, Jeremy Chin for Defensive Rookie of the Year. Well, you named my guy. It's going to be Chase Young for me. And I don't think Jeremy Chin's a bad choice at all. I mean, I don't think anybody really we've named you can go wrong with at all. But Chase Young to me is just he was the second overall pick. You know, he had high expectations coming in. He, he, he lived up to all of them. And I think when you're that high of draft pick and you live up to those expectations and, and you do what you're supposed to do on the field, uh, you deserve some recognition for it because there's a lot of guys that get drafted second, third, fourth overall, and they just completely flame out. But Chase Young uh, transformed that Washington defensive line. They were already really, really good, and he just absolutely changed them into a different beast. By the end of the year, he was taking on double teams almost every play and still still making plays. So Chase Young for me, but again, Jeremy Chin, you can't go wrong, man. Yeah, couldn't go wrong with Chase Young either. And for comeback player of the year, I think this is one you and I may be simpatico on. This is more about the story than it is about the stats. Yes, he did it. Post John Aubrey says, but the fact that he was able to play again and play efficiently, at least according to what the team's game plan required, Alex Smith. You have to go with Alex Smith. Nobody thought he had a chance of ever again walking on that football field after that gruesome uh, broken leg injury he suffered uh, in 2018. The, but people were were convinced he wasn't even going to walk again. And he was able to come back and play the most dangerous contact sport known to man in football. For that reason alone, uh, and for his courage and determination, you have to give it to Alex Smith. It's not even close. I, I honestly want them to rename the Comeback Player of the Year Award the Alex Smith Comeback Player of the Year Award because that's how incredible this story is. You know, ESPN did a great story on Project 11 where they went through all of it. Um, Adam Snyder, former 49ers guard, is, is, is a good friend of mine, and he talks about Alex all the time. We talked to Joe Staley on our podcast. They had nothing but love for Alex Smith, and he talked about how tough he is. And in the first game he comes in against the Los Angeles Rams, Aaron Donald jumped on his back. Aaron Donald is not a small human being. Aaron Donald is is a massive specimen. He jumped on Alex Smith's back, and Alex Smith's like, all right, cool, I'm going to take like two steps with you on my back before I go down. Alex Smith absolutely has to win this award. If he doesn't, I don't know what we're doing here. Um, I, I don't, I traditionally don't like this award. Ryan Tannehill won it last year, and I don't understand what he came back from. He came back from Adam Gase. He came back from bad coaching. I think this is something that you should come back from injury that really sets your career back and you're not sure if you're ever going to be the same player and you still get back to that same level but Alex Smith obviously didn't get back to the same level he was at but what he went through just to get himself on a football field is is it's, it's inspiring it's there's going to be a movie about him in 10 years there's going to be an Alex Smith movie I'm 100% convinced of it because there's there's no way there's no way he doesn't win this award if he does if he doesn't I'm losing all faith in the NFL awards across <laughs> the board yeah rename this Award the Alex Smith Comeback Player of the Year Award. And for Breakout Player of the Year, I'm going with Justin Jefferson for the same reasons you said. He was the uh, fifth wide receiver drafted in, the, in a very talented wide receiver class. And he was uh, an afterthought in that second tier, but he had a better year than all the uh, supposed top three did uh, combined. And uh, he could end up being the best receiver out of this draft class long-term period. That's how good he is. Got to go with Justin Jefferson for my breakout player of the year award. Who is your breakout player of the year? Josh, Josh Allen, quarterback, Buffalo Bills, a guy that everyone had written off as he 
played at Wyoming. He doesn't have any accuracy. He can't play with touch. He's just a scrambler. He doesn't, he doesn't, he proved everybody wrong every step of the way this year. And the whole NFL really messed up by allowing him to keep Brian Dable. They really messed up by allowing him to keep Brian Dable because Brian Dable has done a fantastic job developing Josh Allen. But he, he went from, you can't win in Buffalo with Josh Allen to arguably being second in the MVP race this year. I mean, it was an absolutely incredible 2020 season from him. And, and Buffalo as a city loves him. They love him in the locker room. Everyone was saying that Stefan Diggs was going to be miserable in Buffalo because he was going to Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs enjoyed a career year. I mean, really, it, it, it's it's not even close to me for a breakout player. Uh, it, J- Justin Jefferson already gave him my rookie of the year. So I, so I love that kid. But for me, Josh Allen just breaking the mold and taking five giant leaps forward this season gets my breakout player of the year. I have Josh Allen as my most improved player of the year award for everything you have said. Like, I met this guy at the Senior Bowl in 2018. I got to ask him a question. He came across as a quiet, humble kid uh, from uh, Fresno, California that was impossible to root against. And uh, I had a lot of skepticism about him and his projection of the NFL, as did most others at the time, given the fact that not only he played at Wyoming, uh, that that was probably the least of my reason. It was his accuracy issues at college were all over the place, man. They, um, uh, I was convinced that it was that he was going to be a disaster in the NFL, and I was like begging the Broncos, "Don't take him at five! Don't take him at five!" That year, but he has turned out to prove me wrong, and I couldn't have been happier. Josh Allen, he has uh, turned out to be a unicorn. Rarely do you see a quarterback like him. Um, uh, fix a lot of accuracy issues he had in college the way Josh Allen has. He just, he's that far boy from California that always tries to outwork everybody, and he just might be the best quarterback in that most ballyhooed uh, 2018 class. Said, I could have been prouder of Josh Allen. He is my most improved player of the year. Who is your most improved player of the year? I want to go with DK Metcalf from Seattle Seahawks. I thought DK Metcalf had a fairly pedestrian rookie season and he, you know he showed flashes of what he could do but he really broke out this year and showed that him paired with Russell Wilson is just an incredible pairing for years to come now uh DK Metcalf fell in the draft again this is dinosaur kind of stuff right he fell in the draft because he ran a slow three cone he's a, a he's so large and so big and so fast who cares what he ran in the three cone <laughs> who cares just, just go get the guy, put him on the field, and run him down. And, and, and I think he really evolved his his route tree this year. He really evolved his ability to go up and get the ball. Um, you know, he had that incredible play that turned into a meme against Buda Baker. Really, I think I think DK Metcalf just took a giant leap forward this year and and proved a lot of people wrong that he is not just a guy that you can you send on a on a nine route down the field. I think he showed that he has a lot more versatility than that. And for Coach of the Year, I think it has to be Kevin Stefanski. Like, uh, the Cleveland Browns were an afterthought coming of the year. And Kevin Stefanski not only leads the Browns to their first uh, playoff appearance in almost 20 years, but their first playoff victory in a quarter of a century. Got to be Kevin Stefanski for what he's done at Cleveland, and I believe for what he will continue to do as things are looking up for that club long-term right now. I like the Stefanski choice. Um, I'm going to go with Sean McDermott from Buffalo. I really think that... The, the work he did to keep that team together and, 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 you know, nobody wants to play in Buffalo. Nobody wants to play in Buffalo. Nobody wants to go there. And then of course, once you get there, you, your opinion completely changes because Buffalo is a great city and, and it's a great community to go play in. Uh, but really just him getting over the hurdle of Bill Belichick, 
him getting the Buffalo Bills into the playoffs, getting them a, a playoff victory for almost as long as the Cleveland Browns had, had been in a drought as well. Um, and I think top to bottom, the Buffalo Bills were a better football team this year. I think they were a better coach team this year. Uh, McDermott gets it. Is Stefanski doing it in his first year is very, is very impressive. Very impressive for Stefanski doing this first year, but but really, I think McDermott kind of put together all his years coaching, and he put, he just got everything to come together at the right time. So for me, it's McDermott, but Stefanski is is not a bad choice at all. Uh, McDermott ain't a bad choice either. And for assistant coach of the year, I'm going to have to go with uh, Sean McDermott's right hand man, Brian Dable. Like what he's done with Josh Allen is absolutely remarkable, and. Uh, I like Brandon Staley, don't get me wrong, but the Chargers should have hired Brian Dable as their new head coach. They absolutely should have. Like, just imagine what he could have done with Justin Herbert, the way he did with Josh Allen. Oh, my God, this was a blown opportunity by the Chargers, in my opinion. And whoever gets Brian Dable next year is getting an offensive mastermind and a leader amongst men who learned from Bill Belichick and Nick Saban. Got to go with Brian Dable for my assistant coach of the year, and he will be a head coach in 2022. I am giving... My assistant coach of the year to Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator of the 49ers, now the head coach of the New York Jets. They were the number two defense in 2019. They had DeForest Buckner. They had Nick Bosa. They had D Ford. They had Eric Armstead on the defensive line. They had Richard Sherman all year. They were mostly healthy the whole way through. The 49ers, it is no secret that the 49ers went through one of the worst injury rashes in NFL history this year. The amount of money they had on injured reserve at one point was over $125 million. A lot of that on the defensive side of the ball. A lot of that on the defensive side of the ball. And without Nick Bosa for 95% of the year, without DeForest Buckner at all, who was traded away, without D Ford for the entire season, without Richard Sherman for a vast, vast majority of the season, Nick, Robert Sala turned in the sixth-rated defense in San Francisco with an offense that couldn't stay on the field with an offense that had egregious turnovers. The Robert Sala still had that group humming at a very, very high clip. And I think that is just something that's completely overlooked for were six and 10 this year. So it, like he, he's, they're not going to get a lot of love in the postseason awards, right? This is not how it works. Correct. But I think the work Robert Sala did with that defense to keep them in games week in and week out was absolutely incredible. Minus a couple hiccups against Miami and against Buffalo, but Josh Allen was on a completely different level with Dable as your guy coaching him there. That's actually when I connected Dable to the Chargers was on that Monday night football game against the Niners. But I think Robert Sala just did an incredible, incredible, incredible job and a well-deserved promotion to head coach of the New York Jets for him. Um, but he gets my assistant coach of the year. I don't blame you for that at all. Uh, uh, Robert Sala might not get a... Uh, 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 assistant coach of the year uh, in reality, but th that is not a bad choice whatsoever, especially given what he did this year. And everything you said about Robert Sala is exactly why I am very excited for the New York Jets and the partnership he's going to have with Joe Douglas in turning that team around. And uh, I think uh, they're going to see a lot of success, especially if they get that quarterback position right long term. The New York Jets could finally escape from the doldrums. And now to what this episode is supposed to be about. Super Bowl 55, the Chiefs and the Bucks, and let's talk about this matchup, and obviously the first thing on most people's minds is the fact that the Bucks pass rush with uh, Shaq Barrett and JPP, they were able to take advantage of the absence of David Bakhtiari to sack Aaron Rodgers five times in the NFC Championship game, and that was crucial in them pulling off the upset, but now... 
They go against an even more depleted Chiefs offensive line with backups at both offensive tackle spots, including the infamous Mike Remmers. And as a Broncos fan, I still have uh, orgasms uh, watching uh, Von Miller turn Mike Remmers into a tackling dummy uh, at in Super Bowl 50. But uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, even though the, his offensive line situation is even worse, sorry me, that Aaron Rodgers was against the Bucks. Mahomes is still a different player at this stage of his career than Rodgers is at the current stage of his career. Why will or why won't Patrick Mahomes suffer a similar fate as Aaron Rodgers against this Bucks pass rush? Uh, Patrick Mahomes will not suffer the same fate because, like you said, there are different parts in their career and, and the things Patrick Mahomes can do with the football and how creative Andy Reid is with his protections and with his screen game and with getting teams to be overly aggressive and then rethink how aggressive they have to be. Um, I just really think that, that Andy Reid is going to scheme up something absolutely crazy that Patrick Mahomes can pull off. He's had two weeks to recover from the toe injury. It didn't look like it hindered him all that much against Buffalo like I thought it would. I really thought it was going to hold him back a little bit, but it didn't. He's had two weeks to recover from that now. I, I, I think Mahomes is just going to be able to work his way around it. Will he take some sacks? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's impossible to keep Shaq Barrett and JPP off the quarterback the entire game. Can't do it. Will he take some hits? Sure. But I really think that Mahomes is just going to step up and, and make plays like we haven't seen before. Um, you know, even even against that defense I talked about, <laughs> I talked about that 49ers 2019 defense. That defense was beating him all game long, all game long, all game long. And it didn't matter because at the very end, Patrick Mahomes is still a magician. And he can still pull off so many different things. So I really think when, when you look at it, it's it's – they're going to have it. Shaq and JPP are going to have an impact on the game, but I think Patrick Mahomes is a, he he rises above. He's the cream of the crop, and I think he's going to take the take the advantage of them when they give it to him. And as soon as they do, I think the Bucks defense could be in trouble. Oh, absolutely! And Patrick Mahomes, uh, when you look at him now versus uh, what Aaron Rodgers currently is, you got to say that Patrick Mahomes is a lot more nimble, isn't he? Absolutely, he is. He can absolutely move a lot better than Aaron Rodgers can. Aaron Rodgers isn't isn't. A statue by any by any stretch. I know he's not, but he can't move the way he used to. Absolutely not. That's, that's just what I was getting to. He's also 36 years old, and if he was if he was 28, maybe that NFC Championship game goes a little bit differently. But he's not. He's 36. So here we are. Um, I, I I just think Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to maneuver the pocket and dance around. And it's, he's so dangerous once he gets on the run because you can't cover Tyree Kill for seven seconds. You can't cover Travis Kelsey for seven seconds. You can't cover even Sammy Watkins or. Or Pringle or Miko Hardman or whoever else you want to throw out, you can't cover them for seven seconds. You can't do it. And once once Mahomes breaks the pocket, that's when he becomes the most dangerous. Uh, yes, uh, this Chiefs team doesn't make it to back-to-back Super Bowls and uh, three consecutive AFC Championship games without Patrick Mahomes. But looking uh, at the other key component of their team outside of Patrick Mahomes. I would say it's that secondary they have. It is a criminally underrated secondary that they have. With Tyron Matthew, Juan Thornhill, and Legereus Sneed, three ultra-versatile defensive backs. How well does that secondary match up with the Bucks cachet of pass catchers? I think it matches up very well, because I think what we saw from the NFC Championship game is, is Tom Brady had a bad game. I don't think a lot of people are willing to admit that, but Tom Brady did not look great, especially in the second half of that game. He looked bad. Some of those interceptions were... Were bad. He threw one. He he overthrew Mike Evans on a cross. How do you overthrow Mike Evans? The dude's like six nine and he can jump through the gym. And I think he's like six five, but still, you know, how do you overthrow him? Um, and I, I think that again, it comes down to once you put pressure on Tom Brady, he's going to make some bad throws. And I think that the different coverage looks that you're going to be able, to, the Kansas City Chiefs are going to be able to give 
Tom Brady is going to be a big thing. And I think the other thing we have to think about is who is the Chiefs defensive coordinator? Steve Spagnuolo, the same guy in 2007 that gave Tom Brady a fit in the Super Here Bowl. Here we are. Here we are. I'm saying that this whole thing is cyclical, right? This is what the NFL wanted. They wanted Spagnuolo against Brady again. So really, I think these guys can make make life hell for Tom Brady. And I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any stretch of the imagination. But I, this Chiefs team is just so talented. And they they put all their chips on the table and they put all their money down. And they said, we're going to go, we're going to run it back and we're going to win another one. And it's so rare to see teams do that. Teams win one and they're like, okay, cool. We'll be good. This Chiefs team wants to win a second one all over again. And I just, I, I can't, I think Tom Brady's in for a long day tomorrow. Yes. And uh, in a column for the Athletics, speaking of Tom Brady, the Bucks, former NFL executive Michael Lombardi, who knows Tom Brady very well from their time together in New England, he said that the Bucks' margin of error to pull off the upset, while not impossible, is very, very small. He compared the Chiefs to the Michael Jordan era Chicago Bulls because uh, he believes they have an ability to win in any manner or style. And if there are three keys only for the Bucks to pull off the upset, what are they? Tom Brady has to play mistake-free football. You can't give the Chiefs the ball like you give the Packers the ball. That is absolutely number number one. Uh, number two, they can't let... Tyree Kill go off and have 200 yards and three touchdowns in one quarter like they did when they played in the regular season this year. You can't let him do that. And then number three is you have to disrupt Travis Kelsey's timing. For whatever reason, Buffalo, Leslie Frazier and Buffalo decided to not press Hill or, or Kelsey at the line of scrimmage. They let them get free releases and keep their timing on, like on schedule. And, and Patrick Mahomes was able to pick apart the Buffalo defense by doing that. So really what, what what Tampa Bay needs to do is get in their faces, disrupt their timing, press them, and then bracket those guys over the top. Don't let Tyreek Hill get one-on-one for key number two. And number two, and for key number three is, is just be physical with Travis Kelsey. He's a very large person. He's a very good player. But I, I don't think he necessarily likes to get roughed up at the line of scrimmage. He likes to have his free releases. So those are my three keys for, for the Bucks to pull this upset. Perfect football from Tom Brady. Don't let Tyreek Hill go off, have someone over the top with him, and disrupt Travis Kelsey's timing by getting very physical with him. Absolutely, uh, those are three keys. But I think uh, you have to include another one over one of those is that you have to get to Patrick Mahomes because if you can't get to Patrick Mahomes against this depleted Chiefs offensive line, you don't deserve to win, do you? No, absolutely not. Absolutely, if you're going to let Patrick Mahomes pick you apart, you don't. <laughs> you don't deserve to be in the same stadium. And uh, when you look at this Chiefs team, as I alluded to, um, aside from the offensive line, um, it's very hard to see any other vulnerabilities with this Chiefs team. What others do they have? Can you see any? Yeah, um, I think their linebackers aren't great. I think you can kind of take advantage of them. Um, I don't think their run defense is super, super stellar. Uh, Buffalo is in a hard place because they lost Zach Moss in, in, in round one of the playoffs against the Chiefs, or against the Colts, excuse me. And they didn't have a run game really to speak of moving forward. They were able to get past the Ravens on that. They were able to get past the Colts on that. But once you get to the Chiefs and they made them one-dimensional, that's when you start to talk about all those all those DBs that are so versatile and they give you how many different looks they can give you. I think they, the, the, the Bucks, if they want to succeed, they're going to have to run the ball and they're going to have to shorten the game. You want to limit the number of times that, that Patrick Mahomes touches the football. And if you can get Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones going, then I think you can actually start to make some progress there. But... But that's going to be tough. That's going to be a tough. That's going to be a tough thing to do. 
So really, they're going to have to commit to doing it, and they're going to have to do it hard and fast in the beginning. There's the sapatico alert. I hundred uh, percent agree. I was talking with this, uh, talking with a friend about this, and uh, I said that the Bucks. Uh, one of the main things they're going to have to do in order to win, they're going to have to have an amazing day running the ball from Rojo and Leonard Fournette. They just have to. It not only keeps the ball out of Pat Probst's hands, it takes more pressure off of Tom Brady, who, yes, uh, he could still make a lot of good plays, but he is showing signs of father time already. So uh, you definitely need that running game to help complement Tom Brady or else uh, you're not going to have uh, that good of a chance. Uh, you're going to need to run the ball to cover for your small margin of error against the Chiefs. And now let's talk about uh, game-deciding matchups. Uh, we, we alluded to the Chiefs' secondary against the Bucks' receivers and the uh, Chiefs' two backup tackles against Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. But uh, I'm really looking at Devin White and Levante David going against uh, Clyde Edwards-Lair and Le'Veon Bell catching balls out of the backfield because I imagine because of the two backup tackles, one of the things that Andy Reid's going to do to protect that is he's going to have Mahomes fire uh, shorter passes and quicker passes and uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and, and, and Le'Veon Bell and whoever they send out on those intermediate routes against uh, Devin White and Levante David, uh, that could be very decisive. Uh, they're going to need to have an even better game from Devin White and Levante David than they got against Green Bay. And they played very well against Green Bay, but they're going to have to play a lot better against the Chiefs. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that one. That's going to be a huge matchup for them. Because um, Devonta David, and and we talked about this two weeks ago, Devonta David and Devin White are two of the best interior linebackers in the league. It may be the best duo across the board. I don't, you know, you can say it's not close, whatever it is. I, I think they are two of the best out there. Uh, they're going to have to keep, you know, Clyde Edwards-Alaire and, and Le'Veon Bell and whoever else they want to throw out of the backfield or toward Kelsey or to the fullback or whatever they're going to do. They're going to have to, they're going to have to be on their P's and Q's. They're going to have to make those tackles because once you let those guys get in the open field, that's when they become extra dangerous. Um, a matchup for me, Antoine Winfield Jr. and Jordan Whitehead against Patrick Mahomes. Can they keep these receivers in front of them? Antoine Winfield Jr. has had a fantastic rookie season. He could have been, I, I think it, we had, we had Chase Young, we had Jeremy Chan. I think Antoine Winfield would have been my third choice for yeah. for defensive rookie of the year i think he was incredible this year coming out of minnesota um can he continue that him and jordan whitehead need to make sure that they keep the receivers in front of them do not let these home run plays happen because that's when the chiefs strike and and we saw buffalo got up 10 nothing or nine nothing excuse me they, six before. they got nine nothing against kansas city chiefs and then the Chiefs started to hit some home run plays and that's when the momentum completely switched you can say momentum isn't real you can say all you want but it happened on the field, and when we saw them start to get rolling and start to hit some big plays, that's when Mahomes starts to get a little bit more swagger to his game, a little bit more confidence, and he starts slinging the ball around. And and really, so Winfield for Winfield and Whitehead versus versus Mahomes and the receivers and keeping things in front of them. Uh, yeah, and uh, I think the um, Chief secondary has a similar. Um, task because uh the main thing that Tom Brady has feasted on this year has ironically been the deep ball and in a Bruce Arians offense uh you cannot get burned by these Bucks receivers like Kevin King of the Packers got in the NFC Championship game so mm -hmm. that uh, talented Chiefs secondary uh they have a very um, uh, similar task ahead of them as well don't they absolutely I mean the Packers getting burned for a touchdown right before half is almost inexcusable that it, everyone's gonna everyone's gonna talk like Scotty you can't let Scotty Miller beat you down the field like that 
right before half. Everyone, everyone questions Lafleur kicking a field goal at the very end. I question it as well. Um, but you know, come on, how do you get burned like that right before the half? It was just such a mental lapse, and 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 Kansas City can't let that happen because Kansas City has, I think, more on the line than the Packers did. I, I think that there's so many people that are ready to ready to just bump off the Chiefs and are ready to, to crown Tom Brady as the greatest of all time, of all time, of all time by getting his seventh ring. And, uh, you know, I, they got to keep things in front of them. Both teams need to keep things in front of them. But really, the Kansas City Chiefs cannot have any mental lapses that just absolutely kill them. I completely agree. And uh, another key matchup I'm looking at, if there was one player in Super Bowl 54 that deserved the MVP award equally as much as Patrick Mahomes, if not more, it was Chris Jones. Chris Jones was a monster that game. And now he is going against arguably one of the best center guard tandems in the league in uh, Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen. And uh, if uh, Chris Jones uh, uh, feasts his fair share of the time, uh, that is doomed for Tom Brady because uh, Tom Brady, especially at his age, the interior pressure bothers him the most. And if Chris Jones goes off, uh, the Bucks' chances of winning go a lot lower. That was absolutely my second pick because I love that. I love that. Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen going against Chris Jones. Chris Jones, he made more plays for the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl last year than Patrick Mahomes did. But again, this is a quarterback-driven league, so the quarterback is going to get the going to get the MVP. But I think it absolutely should have been Chris Jones. So I'll, I'll shift mine a little bit, and I'm going to go back to quarterbacks and safeties. I want to see what Tyron Matthew can do against Tom Brady. Tyron Matthew is all over the place. You never know where he's going to line up. You never know whether he's going to blitz, whether he's going to drop in coverage, whether he's going to be a man zone. You don't know what he's going to do. Can he get one over? on Tom Brady and create a turnover in a very key situation. Because if he can, I think that's what's going to flip this game and turn it into not, like I said, not a blowout because I don't think it's going to be a blowout, but can he just get a key interception at a, at a, at a crucial moment that'll, that'll change the tide of the game and kind of maybe seal it for the Kansas City Chiefs. So Tyron Matthew just living up to his honey badger name, living up to the hype, living up to everything. I don't know how this guy, how did the NFL let Tyron Matthew get to the Chiefs? Uh, because he tore happen. his ACL twice and uh, they got scared off. <laughs> it's wild. I don't understand how some of these guys let good teams get good players like this. So, so yeah, Tyron Matthew versus Tom Brady. Can he can he create a crucial turnover at the right time? And can Tom Brady, you know, do Tom Brady things and, and fool Tyron Matthew and get him to bite on something and then all of a sudden you get him to bite on a double move with Mike Evans and then you get a big touchdown. So really there's there's, there's, there's a lot of going into that matchup for me. And we've covered a lot of the uh, matchups that we're going to have to keep our eyes on tomorrow. And now let's make our game picks. And I will go first here. It's very hard to bet against Patrick Mahomes. But it's also very hard to bet against Tom Brady, even an old grandpa-style Tom Brady at 43. But at the end of the day, I think it's meant to be that Patrick Mahomes comes in and says to Tom Brady, you may be the best quarterback of all time right now, but I start to make my push now and by winning my second consecutive Super Bowl. I have taken the Kansas City Chiefs in a very close 30-27 to 27 game. I exactly like what you're saying here. I'm, I, I look at it two ways. It, it, I'm taking Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes over Tom Brady and Bruce Arians. That's the way I'm looking. I'm looking at the coach-quarterback combo, and right now I like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid more. I have them winning 31-24. Kansas City Chiefs are hoisting their second consecutive Super Bowl 
Lombardi Trophy. And now it's time for bowl predictions. And Matt, why don't you go first here? What is your bowl prediction for Super Bowl 55? My bold prediction is that Tyreek Hill is going to be the MVP. I think Tyreek Hill is going to have a similar game that they had against the Buccaneers in the regular season. I think he's going to go off for two touchdowns and over 175 yards, and they're going to have no choice but to not award a second consecutive Super Bowl MVP to Patrick Mahomes. My bold prediction is this, and I think it may be even bolder than yours. Tom Brady will lead the Bucks to a game-winning goal-to-goal situation at the one-yard line with under a minute to go and kind of like Super Bowl 49, he will be intercepted in the end zone by Tyron Matthew. And that is how the heartbreak in Tampa will occur tomorrow. So that is my bold prediction. That is some poetic justice dialing all the way back. And it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because if you look at the parallels between Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes' careers, year one, starters, they lose in the playoffs. Year two, they win a Super Bowl. Year three, they lose. The, the, Russell Wilson lost to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is on year three starting now. So that's very interesting that you say that Tom Brady's going to throw an interception very much in the similar vein that Russell Wilson did in the Super Bowl. So that's interesting. That's interesting. I like that. Uh, yes. And uh, last but not least, we conclude today with our challenge flags. And I'm going to uh, issue my challenge flag to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a whole. Embrace the underdog role. Very few people think you're going to win. Very few people think you have a clear path to victory. But embrace the underdog role just like Tom Brady embraced the underdog role against the uh, then St. Louis Rams in Super Bowl 36 in New Orleans. You, This is a, a very similar situation for Tom Brady at the tail end of his, his career than at the beginning of his career. So Buccaneers go in with that exact same mindset and prepare to shock the world. I like it. I like it. I think I think uh, the last time we saw a true underdog come in and have that mentality was the Philadelphia Eagles. They had the dog masks and everything, and they, they really they really dove right into it and they beat the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. So it's time for it's time for Tom Brady to do the same thing. I'm gonna throw my challenge slide to Andy Reid. And I want him to tell his son, Britt Reid, that he is not allowed to be a part of the Chiefs. He is not allowed to be on the sideline. He is not allowed to be a part of anything that happens in Tampa Bay. He should be sent home. He should be fired. And he should not be allowed to ever associate in the NFL ever again. For those of you who don't know, Britt Reed was in a yes. car crash where his son was yeah. severely injured. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he was under the influence while doing it. I don't care if it's your son, Andy. I don't care. I'm throwing my challenge like right now. that You need to get him off the team, out of the way, and away from the Kansas City Chiefs because he cannot become a distraction on Super Bowl Sunday. You need to do what you had. I'm, I'm sorry. I know it's your son, but I'm throwing my challenge flag right at you. You need to get him off the team right now. And let me add something to that. What Britt Reed did was a sad part of the selfishness and recklessness that is poisoning our country right now. In the middle of the worst pandemic in over 100 years, it's not just people still driving drunk, it's people not wearing masks in public or wearing masks the wrong way or not adhering to social distancing guidelines, which uh, puts us in 
uh, rocky spot even before all these vaccines come in. It's going to get worse before the vaccines come for uh, in large part due to human selfishness and human recklessness. And if the NFL wants to be a leader in fighting COVID-19, the same has to be for drug driving and combating all kinds of human recklessness and selfishness. You have to hold Britt Reed accountable by not allowing him to coach in the National Football League. Again, this is not just a bad look for the Chiefs. It's a bad look for the NFL, and the league has to take care of it right now. Absolutely. 100% agree. He is Matt Barr, ladies and gentlemen, of the esteemed Pro Football Network, where he is an analyst and insider. Catch him on Twitter at Matt Barr underscore. Matt, thank you so much once again for joining us. And that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But Matt, we'll be back here next week to recap Super Bowl 55, plus a special interview with NFL athlete manager Allie Reddick. So stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that is Crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrutch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Matt. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at dcrom 59 For Matt Barr, this is David Cromwell saying so long and as usual. Stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, wear a mask, over your nose, wash your hands, social distance, and remain eternally vigilant. Thank you very much, everybody. Enjoy the Super Bowl.